Welcome back to the LG Procast, the podcast for Victoria's local government decision makers. In this episode, we're talking reform. LGV has made brief proposals for legislative reform public and are now seeking feedback. LG Pro joined the MAV and VLGA in a joint push for adequate time to be allocated to this initial consultation with the sector, but local government has only been given four weeks to respond. With this tight turnaround, we're discussing what looks to be changing from these proposals and how we might avoid unintended consequences. This episode's discussion is proudly brought to you by Public Sector People, partnering with councils across Victoria to provide search and selection and temporary recruitment solutions. We're joined by Hunt and Hunt Managing Principal, Tony Raunick, a regular voice on the VLGA Connect series and a go-to for legal advice for the sector. Tony's hosting a webinar with LG Pro on February 22nd to help councils understand the reform proposals and to help inform their responses. Here's more on what's to come. Well, firstly, I think councils will get a better understanding of what is actually being proposed and perhaps with the benefit of some of the legal training and involvement that I've had in the processes in the lead up to these reforms being announced, a bit more insight into what are the likely changes to particular regulations that we're likely to to see. What has occurred perhaps in other states might be relevant here. And we have seen conduct reforms in, you know, South Australia, for example, Western Australia. There is some hints in the themes here in the consultation paper as to the sort of specific measures that might be being contemplated in terms of new regulations. And I think that that will give a bit more clarity for those council staff, LG Pro members attending in terms of what are the likely outcomes of these reforms and so therefore what is their attitude to them and the necessary elements that that ought to change to make the reforms more likely to be successful. One of the most significant reforms Tony flags are the proposed new powers for the minister. Seeing as conduct issues are rare occurrences, but particularly damaging ones when they do occur, this flag change is particularly promising. What will be a major interest in the sector will be this concept of the minister having the ability to suspend an individual councillor for up to 12 months. As we know, whilst there's a persistent issue with conduct at councils, conduct of councillors you know, amongst themselves and, and how they interact with council staff, the problem lies with a minority of councillors, very small group of councillors who have caused a great deal of upheaval at some councils. And unfortunately, the solution sometimes currently is for a monitor to be appointed to entire council because councillor Tony is being disruptive and causing problems constantly. And the only solution is to really punish the entire organisation by appointing a monitor at great expense to the council, therefore to ratepayers. Perhaps a more appropriate outcome would be that councillor Tony has to face some consequences personally, rather than the entire organisation and the entire group of councillors. And and so I think it's, this is really important and valuable but also it's important that we see the natural justice processes followed so that a councillor in that position 
knows the allegations against them, has the opportunity to respond to those allegations with sufficient time, and um, you know there, there's appropriate sort of natural justice processes followed. So that's, I think, a really significant proposed reform and one that I think a lot of councillors and council staff will want to look at closely because it has the potential to be a real game changer for how we deal with those minority of, if you like, problematic councillors. We don't have much detail yet on the specifics behind each proposal, but clear themes have emerged. The Model Code of Conduct proposal speaks to the theme of standardisation. The devil is in the detail, though, as Tony explains. The devil's going to be in the detail here. And this is why it's critical that not just with this initial consultation on, if you like, the themes of the reforms, it's important that the sector's involved both in those themes, but also in the detail of the regulations, because that's where sometimes the unintended consequences flow through. But in terms of the themes that we've got, the sense is that we're we're certainly moving to a much more standardised set of, you know, code of conduct, documents, governance rules, if you like. There are advantages in that in terms of each municipality having the same context, the same set of language that they need to abide by or follow. And and that helps, I guess, in interpretation and creates certainty um, across the sector. It does mean that where an individual council feels that, you know, they've got some unique circumstances, they've got something else that they particularly need to address. It's hard to do it in those standardised documents. But there is opportunity to do it through, I guess, policies um, at councils as well. So it, it's, uh, I guess we'd like to know as a sector, will we still have some flexibility here at a local level? Because we've, we've learned that, you know, that's what councils are for. They're the experts at a local level and they're the ones best informed in terms of what's the best solution locally. My sense is that, that we, we won't be allowed to um, vary the language of those that model code. Um, it'll be a given. Um, however, we can address any you know unique features in a local policy. But the question is going to be, well, how effective will that local policy be if it's not included in your governance rules? Will you know a councillor conduct panel? be able to require or, or introduce a sanction for a councillor who, who, who's failed to observe the policy? Or are they going to merely look at observation of the code of conduct? And, 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 and they're questions, I think, that will come out in the detail of the regulations. And again, that's where the consultation is really critical. It's not all about warding off unintended consequences, though. Some proposals might simply need more clarity. The vagueness of what suspended councillors under these reforms actually can and can't do makes this still an open question. Tony has specific examples that illustrate why this clarity is important. I think this notion that some a councillor is suspended for a month, one or two council meetings potentially, and what does that mean? They're clearly not entitled to come along and vote at council meetings, come along and participate in council briefings during that suspension period. But, you know, they're still out there on on their social media, representing themselves as councillors, receiving representations from the community. 
likely sending in communications to council staff or to the community in their role as a councillor. So some clarity about the extent to which they need to cease performing that role, or is it simply they're just not entitled to attend a meeting or two and and not entitled to vote? I think there's even more to it than that. We should be looking at appropriateness of apologies. So so when arbiters are making orders about, you know, councillors ought to apologise for misconduct, those apologies need to be sincere. And I think there's a question as to whether language like I've been told to apologise, um, I don't think I did anything wrong, but I apologise. Would that be an, a sincere apology? And what opportunity would arbiters have to revisit that element and go back and say you haven't apologised appropriately? Because right now it's unclear that arbiters have that power and they, and arguably there have been some less than sincere apologies to date as a result of um, arbiter decisions. Another question mark remains on privileges and secrecy around commissions of inquiry, one with potentially dire consequences for whistleblowers. This is an important question because conceivably a monitor might come in or a commission of inquiry might be constituted and an individual councillor, council officer, member of the public might want to act as a bit of a whistleblower. I'm really concerned about ABC that's occurred. Now, if that letter of concern is published in the monitor's report, it could well become a bit of a a deterrent in future for whistleblowers to say, hey, I'm I'm really not keen in in, in passing on this information that I have to the monitor because it's going to make my job less sustainable in future. I could lose my job. I I might lose the support of my colleagues when it comes out publicly that I've blown the whistle on on particular concerns. And have we seen at the Moira Commission of Inquiry, there can be really grave matters considered by commissions. In that instance, there was you know, consideration of the unfortunate murder of a council staff member. So um, I think there ought to be some protections given to people who are providing information in those circumstances. A proposal to increase the Chief Municipal Inspector's powers could be a relief to mayors, CEOs and staff alike one that could speed up the resolution process for everyone involved in complaints. Why I think that that's valuable and important is that currently council staff, council CEOs and also mayors, I think, are somewhat in a difficult position when they observe something that's inappropriate. And so, for example, if a CEO observes something inappropriate, it might be regular voting by a councillor when they have a material conflict of interest. It might be regular, you know, releasing of confidential information. Then the CEO has no power to commence a code of conduct investigation. That's only a power that an, a, a councillor has. So typically the CEO would be saying to the mayor, you know, you might want to consider whether you take action under the councillor code of conduct. And so you're creating a situation where councils are forced to kind of enforce the regulations themselves. And that's not conducive to working together and cohesion. So you've got to, you can often have a case where a mayor is just exhausted 
with the level of code of conduct sort of um, investigations in, in, in the municipality, along comes something else. And the mayor's being encouraged to once again sort of open Pandora's box, um, scratch the, the wound again and commence another process. If we if we have an ability for some matters to be dealt with by the chief municipal inspector, and I'm thinking of things like conflict of interest violations, that they're able to expedite a process where then there can be that um, infringement notice, fine, some sort of quick sanction that isn't easily appealable, then we can have a quick resolution of these processes. Unfortunately, at the moment, short of going down the code of conduct route, all mayors and, and CEOs can do is report a matter to IBAC, report a matter to local government Victoria or the chief municipal inspector and, and hope that some sort of inquiry is undertaken. And often we never really know the outcome of those processes when a complaint is made. And I think having that clearer, shorter, expedited process will be conducive to you know having things resolved promptly and allowing councils to move forward with certainty. One of the most cryptic passages of the reform proposal document is its final section on what are coined other miscellaneous amendments. What are they and should we be worried? I have some concerns about a catch-all that says there'll be other miscellaneous amendments but we're not going to consult you on them. They're just for administrative efficiencies. Well, we all know that you get the best outcomes when all the parties involved, all the stakeholders get to consider what the implications might be. We've learnt from past experience that the most effective reforms come when those people on the ground who have to actually live with the reforms can give feedback about pr how practically achievable some of this stuff is. We want to see as much as possible any of these amendments, including what are seen as merely miscellaneous reforms for administrative efficiency, to be just road tested with the sector. We're not here to be obstructive. It's all about the best way to achieve mutually desired outcomes here. You can hear more from Tony Rownick on February 22nd in LG Pro's live webinar on this very topic, free for LG Pro members. Thank you to Tony for this episode's interview. Thank you to Public Sector People for sponsoring the LG Procast, partnering with councils across Victoria to provide search and selection and temporary recruitment solutions. And thank you for joining us.